Sandy, that wasn't all of 42. Uh, you got a reprieve. There's more to chapter 42 than that, but we'll give you guys a break. Hey, it's good to see everyone here this morning. I'm Joel. I'm the, the senior pastor here. And we are continuing in our series called Dreamer. And we've got this week and then we have next week. Then we'll have a Thanksgiving service. And then we start into Advent of all things. We're, uh, you know, we got, got that coming up on our heels. You know, as I begin the series, or as I begin the message today, we all have places that we would love to go back to. Shortly before we left Hong Kong, somebody gifted us a trip to a resort along the coast in Thailand. I, I don't know about you, where your happy place is. Maybe it's Dork County, maybe it's up, up north, Taylor Falls, whatever. My happy place is Hua Hin in, in Thailand. Right on, right on the beach. It was an amazing place. I could go back there tomorrow, no problem at all, especially knowing the cold weather that's coming. But we all have places that we would rather not go back to. And maybe that place is a time, a time period in life. Maybe it's a specific place. Maybe it's a restaurant that you got really bad food poisoning at, just like, I'm never going back there. But I got a hunch the places that we don't want to return to often have things tied to them, have memories tied to them, have things that have happened in our heart are tied there. For me, that place is, is eighth grade. When, and I know my folks watch these, so this is not a, a dig on you, mom and dad, but eighth grade was a very tumultuous year for me. I mean, I was, you know, your, your eighth grade is just a tough year anyway. I mean, you're trying to figure out your hormones. You're trying to figure out the opposite sex. You're trying to remember your, your, your locker uh, combination and all this stuff. And in the midst of all that, there was a great turnover in our home. My mom bought a shop, uh, a store where they sold wedding dresses and formal dresses and stuff like that. And in, we lived in Watertown, and that store was in Heartland. So she would, get, she would get going earlier in the morning and sometimes wouldn't get back till 8 or 9 o'clock at night. The same time, my dad was promoted to second shift supervisor of his plant, so he worked from 3 o'clock in the afternoon till midnight. I saw him for a half an hour when he came home from lunch, and we saw him uh, on, on the weekends. And my brother went into the military at the same time, so I was eighth grade, and I was left with a younger brother and a younger sister that I had to care for, as well as having to, having to learn how to cook. I didn't know how to cook. Mom always did that. I didn't know how to do laundry. Laundry had to be done at that time, so... I had to learn all of that stuff. But what, the, what makes me say I would never go back to that time period is something else that happened. Because what happened was banned. And I've told the story before to some of you, but it's okay. You can, you can hear it again. When I was in eighth grade, I played, I, I played baritone, euphonium. It's kind of like small tuba. And I wasn't that good because... I didn't want to practice. I wanted to be out playing football and hockey with my friends. I didn't want to be inside having to practice. And we were preparing for we were preparing an audition tape for a, for a, um, a contest that we were going to be part of. And there was a certain part in this song that I just couldn't get. The baritones and saxophones carried the melody, and I just couldn't get it. And one day the band director and so when it came time to play that part, I would let the first chair euphonium. Take, take, uh, take it, and I play kind of softly as I didn't know how to play it. And one day the band director, he stopped and he said, something doesn't sound right. And he said, it's in the brass section. I knew it was me. I knew it was me. 
and he goes, he starts with the trumpets. No, no, it's not there. Went to the French horns, not there. Went to the trombones, not there. Went to first chair, euphonium, not there. Came to me, he goes, there it is. It's right there. He said, Arndt, don't play. Oh, yeah. You're eighth grade, and you're in a group of 90 of your period, of your peers. Yeah, you see what sets in place? And when I hear people going in and, and shooting up schools, it's like, hmm, I wonder what's behind that, the hurt. Because for me, I tie back there the hurt of what happened, what, what got set in place. And for some of us, we say, there are places that I would never go back to. What if God were to call you to go back to that place? And some of your hackles are already up. Okay, just hang with me here. It's going to get a little dark before it gets lighter. All right? But when God calls you back, when God calls you to revisit your past, it's not to punish you, but it's an act of grace on his part. Because there are some wounds that only he can heal, okay? As we open up chapter 42 today, oops, what do I do with my, is my clicker there? Sorry, folks, sorry about this. It's right here where I left it. Sorry, 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 sorry. When we pick up chapter 42, let me go back some here. As we get ready for chapter 42, it's, it's good for us to go back and to look at what's taken place. Chapter 37 opens up with a 17-year-old with a spoiled kid. His name is Joseph. Joseph is the only son of, of his father, Jacob. Now, that doesn't mean that Jacob doesn't have more sons. He has four wives. This home is a mess. It is a powder keg waiting to happen to, to explode, and it did explode. But Jacob is the son of the, of the wife that Jacob, or Joseph is the son that Jacob loved because his mother was the wife that he loved, and her name was Rachel. And Jacob makes no bones about the fact that he loves Joseph. I mean, he gives him a special coat of many colors to say to everybody else that this is the heir apparent, not to mention that there's 10 other sons, and there's a firstborn son from the other wives, but Joseph is the one that's going to carry on the family. He's spoiled, he's handsome, and he is dad's favorite son. And the brothers hate him. And when the opportunity comes, they, they, sell, they sell him to a group of Ishmaelite traders. They take off that, that um, coat of many colors that he was wearing. And they kill a, a goat and they dip the, the coat into the, into the blood. And then they take it to their father and say, examine this. In the meantime, what happens to Joseph? Joseph is sold to an Ishmaelite caravan, and they go to Egypt. And, and the brothers are thinking, we will never, ever see him again. But what's happened to Joseph? Joseph was sold to a guy by the name of Potiphar. Everything that Joseph does turns to gold. Everything. Everything that Joseph, he rises from the place of, of being someone who would have worked outside to the place where he's now second in the household. But remember that thing about saying that he was handsome? Yeah. And Potiphar's wife took a shine to him. And she wanted him. She wanted him to go to bed. And he kept refusing her, kept refusing her. 
And what he got for his integrity was he got falsely accused and thrown into prison. But there again in prison, we hear the phrase, the Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered. And Joseph was blessed again, and he moves from being just a regular prisoner to being in charge of all the prisoners. And it's there where Joseph meets two men from Pharaoh's court. See, Joseph's in prison, but he's in the place that God wanted him to be. What Greg was saying before, God had him in the place where he was working on his character so that his character would match the assignment that he had for him. And it's there in prison that he meets two of Pharaoh's court, a baker and the cupbearer. And they both have dreams on the same night. And he says to them, and they, and they ask, or Joseph interprets their dreams. And when he interprets their dreams, he says to the baker, you're going to die. And to the cupbearer, he says, you're going to be raised up. And when you are, remember me. Well, the cupbearer, he promptly forgets all about Joseph. And two years go by, and Pharaoh has a dream. And now Pharaoh has a dream, and the, the cupbearer says, oh, yeah, there's this guy. I met him in prison, and he was able to interpret my dreams. And Joseph is brought to Pharaoh. And in one day, or in, in that instance, Pharaoh says, I hear that you can interpret dreams. And he says, I can't. He does something absolutely beautiful. He deflects the glory off of himself and puts it back onto God. And he says, I can't, but God can. He interprets the dream, and Pharaoh raises him from the place of being a prisoner. He wakes up in the morning as a prisoner and goes to bed that night as the prime minister of all of Egypt, the second most powerful man in the, whole, in the most powerful nation at that time. Only God could have done something like that, and God did. Why? Because a famine was coming. And when we pick up in chapter 42, Joseph was 30 years old when he starts out with Pharaoh. It's been seven years of plenty. I mean, seven years when it was, there was so much to harvest that they stopped counting. But now the famine has begun, and Joseph is anywhere between 37, 38, 39, possibly even 40 years old. And this is where we pick up the story. In chapter 42, it says, When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you keep looking at each other? I've heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Then 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain for the famine in the land was in the land of Canaan also. What's going on here? Why, you know, when, when, when Jacob says, it says that he learned that there was grain in Egypt, do you think the brothers also knew that there was grain in Egypt? They got a hunch. So why are they not bringing that information to dad? Because I think the last place in the world that they want to go to is Egypt. Why? Their last picture of Egypt was what? They know who's going to Egypt. They knew who went to Egypt. It was Joseph. They have no idea where Joseph is, but the last place in the world that they want to go to is to, is to Egypt. They have a little secret in their, in their life that they don't want to tell anybody. It's a secret that all ten of the brothers know about, and it's a secret that involves Egypt, and it's the last place in the world that they want to go to. But isn't it interesting what the Lord used? He uses a famine. He uses a famine to draw the brothers to the place where Joseph is. God's got something in mind, doesn't he? In the same way that he uses a, used a famine, he will use many years later, with a relative of these ten brothers, he will use many years later a census. 
A census that will draw Mary and Joseph from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Why else would a woman go who is great in uh, who is far along in her pregnancy? Why else would she travel from Nazareth to, to Bethlehem? Because of a census. God was at work, wasn't he? God was sovereignly at work. He sovereignly worked behind the scenes to bring about his perfect will. It's not a coincidence you're here with us this morning. I see some new people here this morning. Welcome. I'm so glad to have you here with us. But it's not a coincidence that you're here. Even if this is your only Sunday here, it's not a coincidence that you're here because God has something not only for you who are visiting, but uh, the rest of us who this is where we call home. God is sovereignly at work in your marriage. God is sovereignly at work in your past. God is sovereignly at work in your health. God is sovereignly at work with your job. God is sovereignly at work with your children, with your prodigal children. God is sovereignly at work to do what? To bring about his perfect will. Where? Not only in your life, but in the lives around you as well. See, God wasn't just interested in Joseph's family. He was interested in the families as well of many others who will never know the names of them. But God placed Joseph there for a reason. And God is bringing the brothers there for a reason. Because that's where Joseph is. But there's something about it. When they come, when they come to, when they come to Egypt, there is a secret in their heart that they've been keeping, that they've been keeping just to themselves. I wonder, think about this. There's two secrets in this home that every, I think many of them knew. Remember Reuben in a power move to try and get the, the first place in the family? He sleeps with his father's concubine. And it says that Jacob knew about it. Jacob knew what Reuben did, and Reuben knew that dad knew. But it's nothing is ever said about it. And the ten of the brothers, they knew what they'd done with Joseph. But they never say anything about it. And you know, when God brings our past to us, it's not to punish us. It's because he wants to do something in our lives. Because when we keep sin to ourselves, when, when we sin, our natural reaction is not to go towards God, is it? Now, some of you just kind of turn me off here. All right, hang with me here, all right? Our natural response when we sin is not to run towards God, is it? It is to run away. What's the natural response of God? Is to move towards and to draw us back into that relationship. You see, when we sin, a relationship is broken. It's not only when somebody sins against us or we've sinned against somebody else. There's a relationship that has been broken between us and God, and God will stop at nothing to restore that relationship. When David sleeps with Bathsheba, and he's king, and there's a phrase in chapter 11 of 2 Samuel where it keeps on saying it over and over and over again. It's the word sent. He sent. He sent for Bathsheba. He sent for her husband. He sent her husband back with his own death notice in his hands. And he doesn't know it. And David thinks that he's gotten away with this. And chapter 12 opens up with the words, and God sent Nathan to speak to, to David. But listen to what's going on in David's heart when he kept quiet. In Psalm chapter 32, it says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. 
Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And you forgave, I love that, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. God is a God who forgives sin when we confess our sin. Confession is this. Confession is agreeing with God, yes, you are right. When God lays his hand on that area of our life and says, that was sin, confession is saying, you're right. Repentance is saying, God, not only do I ask you for forgiveness, but God, with your strength, I'm not going back there and doing that again. But he said, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Sam and Amber and Beck and I went to pastor's retreat and the speaker was Don Litchie and he said several things that just really stood out to me. But there's one, one that really stood out. He said, if you're not willing to listen, you will have to feel. If you're not willing to listen, you will have to feel. And see, when we're out of relationship with God, God's speaking to us, isn't he? Well, the problem is we can, we can turn the volume down. The longer that we, that we choose not to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, the softer that voice becomes. And when you choose not to listen, you choose to feel. Because God is relentless in his pursuit of rest, restoring that relationship with us. These brothers, they come back. They come back to Egypt or they come to Egypt, and when they come back to Egypt, I think the last person in the world that they were expecting to see is Joseph. Think about it. Especially in the position in which he's at. No way, no way could Joseph have ever been at that place. But God brings them to the exact place where they are going to have to deal with something in their past. And Joseph, when he meets them, he's not all that nice to them. It isn't hardly what, what they gave him, but he's not all that nice to them. He says, you're spies. And finally, they respond to one another, and they said, surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. And who's listening all the time? Joseph is listening all the time to this statement. <laughs> and they confess. But they don't confess to the right person. In reality, as you look at this whole account, you never see a point where they come back and they truly confess to Joseph. We sinned against you. You'll see it later on. After dad is dead, they kind of, well, you know, do, do this because dad said, you know, do, forgive us for what it is we did. But they never say anything to Joseph. And was it punishment? See, that's why I said, when God causes us to face our past, don't see it as punishment. See it as the grace of God. And that one's hard. That one is really hard. Because some of you right now would be saying something like, well, you don't understand. You don't have a clue. I don't know what world you live in, Pastor, but you don't have a clue as to what it was that I suffered through. All right, yeah, yeah, I get it. You suffered through something in band class. I suffered with somebody who abused me. 
I suffered with something, and you can put the you can put it. And I don't ever, ever want to go back to that. And I don't care all this stuff about grace. I'm not going back there. And the problem is that the longer that we continue to stew in that, the more damage it does to our hearts. And God is the one who, in his grace, brings us back to those places. And so what do you do? I mean, what do you, what do, you do when you're faced with, with things like this? When we're, when, when we're faced with something like this? First of all, be careful. Use wisdom, especially if there's been abuse. And it's interesting that it comes at this time of year. That we're talking about at this time of year. We're on the cusp of the holidays, and in a, in a few short weeks, we're going to have um, holidays. We're going to have Thanksgiving, and Thanksgiving is going to bring everybody into the house. And in some of your households, I remember marrying a, a girl, a, a girl and a guy in Montana, and I said, "Tell me about you. What what was it that drew you to one another?" And he said, "Thanksgiving." Now this guy was big. He's tall. He's a Montana boy, and he was strong as an ox. And I said, Thanksgiving, was that because of, of the food? And he goes, no. He said, when we had Thanksgiving dinner, he said, when I was sitting at her house and we were having Thanksgiving dinner, he said, a fist fight didn't break out. He said, whenever we had Thanksgiving dinner, he said, someone got drunk, there was a fight and everything else. We were on the ground, and by the end of the time, we were leaving, and we were so mad at one another. And he said, it was nothing like that. But he said it was different. And you know, when you think about, about things and going back, you think about restoring relationships. God's the one who calls us back to, those, to, to that restoration. And God is the one who gives us the ability. But you need to set up some boundaries. You need to be careful about that. I mean, if there's somebody who's been abusing you, you can forgive. And forgiveness involves three things. It involves, first of all, Seeing, seeing the other person, not seeing the person through your eyes, but seeing the person through their eyes. For Joseph to be able to forgive his brothers. I think about, I wonder if he had some time to think about it while he was in prison, about what caused his brothers to do what they did. And in some situations, it takes two to tango, doesn't it? There's other people have a part in it. The second part of, of forgiveness is the, is the choosing to forgive. Choosing to forgive and not to hurt. And the third part of it is, is changing your attitude. That's the tough one. That's, that's been the one that I've seen over the years that has been the toughest part of forgiving, is changing your attitude toward them. Because you're going to, in some instances, you'll see them when... We had a situation happen to us in Montana. I've told you this story. Um, we had two grocery stores in our town across the road from one another. You always ran into somebody at the grocery store. And we'd had an intervention with our district superintendent. And uh, we, for two days, I listened to how I had offended everybody in this lady's family except the dog. And maybe I'd offended the dog, too. And at the end of it, she had been gossiping. She had been very destructive. And at the end of it, the district superintendent asked her, so what part in this did you play? I did nothing. I, you know, she said, I did nothing. If anything, I could have used a little more tact in the things that I said. And it's like, really? 
But Becca and I had determined before we went into that, that time that we were going to choose to forgive. We were not going to choose to um, defend ourselves, but we were going to choose to forgive. And one of the things we asked the Lord was change our hearts toward her. And normally if I would have seen her coming down the street and I was on the same side, I would have walked across the street. Seriously. I, I did not like this lady at all. And just a week after we had this intervention, we go in the grocery store and who should be right in front of us? And it's one thing to forgive. It's another when God puts that person again right in front of you. And have you truly forgiven? You see, when God causes us to face our past, don't see it as punishment, but see it as the grace of God because he's seeking to restore and heal. Heal a relationship, not only between you and the other person, but also between him and God, between you and God as well. In addition to this, okay, so set up some boundaries. You can still be cordial, can't you? Doesn't mean you leave your kids with them. Doesn't mean you have to spend all your time with them, you can, but you can still be cordial. And you can, still allow, you can still allow God to be seen in and through you. But be wise. Be wise and allow Christ to be seen in and through you. Well, Joseph, he now gets to see his brothers. It says, Joseph was the governor of the land and the one who sold the people, sold the grain to the people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. Let's stop there for a second. I think Joseph is a very busy man. He has spent the last seven years gathering up all the grain, taking care of all the logistics in the, in the country of Egypt. And now it comes to the time when the, the famine has started. And people by the hundreds, I think by the thousands, are coming to Egypt because there is no other grain anywhere else. I think Joseph is a very busy man. And in the same way, the brothers, the last person they expect to see is Joseph. I think the last people that Joseph ever expected to see was his brother's. And when he sees his brothers, it says, when Joseph, when, when, so when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed to the, down to the, him with their faces to the ground. And as soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. But he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, you're spies. You've come to see where our land is unprotected. So when Joseph sees his brothers, why does he not say anything to them about who he is? You know, think about it. If you were in that situation where somebody had hurt you, and you see them, and you have the power to hurt them, what are you going to do? See, therein I think is the test for Joseph. You know what Joseph doesn't do? And it's amazing. And it's like, where did he learn this? Did this come from his time in prison? Where did he learn this? This is where we see the hand of God in his life again. Because what Joseph doesn't do is, oh, look what the cat drug in today. Oh, yeah. Do you remember me? Yeah, you remember me? Me, the one that was on the back of the trail or on the back of the caravan? Me, yeah, eating the dust all the way to Egypt? You remember me when I was crying out to you in distress and you guys were having a sandwich and not even listening to me? Do you remember me? Oh, yeah. Welcome to Egypt. 
Welcome to the worst day, to the start of the worst days of your life. Doesn't do it. He doesn't do it. He speaks harshly to them and hardly gives them what they gave to him. But he says to him, you're spies. I wonder why he uses that. I theorize. When we first meet Joseph in chapter 37, what's the first thing that we're told about him? He brings a bad report about two of his brothers. I wonder if this wasn't a term that his brothers used for him. Oh, you're the little spy. I could be wrong. I've been wrong already today, so I, I could be wrong. But I have a hunch about that. But how is it that they don't recognize him? I mean, after all, he's their brother. You know, I, my brother has aged, you know, over the years, and I still recognize my brother. And there are people that when I came back, uh, uh, I'd been away from my hometown for over 40 years. But when I see them, it's like, oh, I know who you are. How is it that they don't know who Joseph is? These guys are coming in off the track. I mean, they've they're got beards, they're dirty, they're smelly. Whereas Joseph, he's clean-shaven. As an Egyptian, he's clean-shaven. He's wearing Egyptian garb. He is speaking through an interpreter. They don't have a clue as to who's standing in front of them. But God places his brothers right in front of them. Okay, Joseph, now what are you going to do? Now when it's within your power to hurt, what are you going to do? And Joseph gives them not what they deserve. He gives them grace. We'll talk more about that at the table. He gives them grace. And he says to them, he says, you're spies. You come to spy out the land to see where, where, things, are, where things are unprotected. And listen to what they say. They said, no, my Lord, they answered. Your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of, we are all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. No, he said. He said to them, you have come to see where our land is unprotected. Honest. Hmm. They were honest about a few things. They were honest about the fact that they'd come to buy food. They were honest about the fact that they were all the sons of one man. But were they honest about their character? No. They weren't. When Joseph... When Joseph is, is sold, the brothers, what did they do? They took his ornamented robe back to their father. And the Hebrew is pretty clear here. It's, it's not them going there, but they sent somebody there. And they said, examine this. See, if it, see whether it is your son's robe. They don't even say Joseph's name. Honest? Hardly. Remember the story that I told you about Reuben? Hardly an honest man. Two of his other brothers, Levi, Levi and Simeon, when their sister Dinah is raped, Jacob does nothing. So they take matters into their own hands and they say, we will give you our, our sister if you become like us, if you become circumcised like us. And while they are recuperating, what do they do? They go in and they kill off every man in the town of Shechem. And Judah, we heard a few weeks ago about Judah. Judah was a man of upstanding character as well, wasn't he? He wasn't. They're not honest. But what Joseph is seeking to find out in this time is, are they, has there been any change that has happened in their life? 
And he says, this is how I will test you. When was the last time we heard that word test? It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 22, when God says to Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to a mountain that I will tell you about and there sacrifice. And what we read at the very beginning is that God tested, tested Abraham. It's the same word that's used here. It's a word that's used when they tested metal. He's seeing what's in their heart. Have they truly changed? And when he holds them back in, in prison and, and says to them, you know, I'm going to send, you can, I'll keep one and the rest of you can go back. It, it's not to, not to see whether or not that they would bring back Benjamin. It's to see, are they going to abandon another one of their brothers in the same way that they abandoned him? Joseph, he has an opportunity to do something. He has an opportunity for revenge, or he has an opportunity for grace. You know, as I think about some of the places that God would call us back to, sometimes it's, it's in our homes. And sometimes the damage that was done, to the greatest extent, was in our homes. I was watching a, I thought it was a fascinating study, maybe you'll think it's stupid, but Scientists, they, they captured a thousand fleas and put them in a, in a jar, put little holes in the top of the jar, and just let them in there for three days. Now, a flea can jump up to three feet high. But after three days, they unscrewed the lid of the jar, and guess what happened? The fleas jumped only as high as the top of the jar. That's all the higher they jumped. And even the babies that were born in the time that were in there, that's all the higher they jumped because that's all the higher that they knew. And sometimes in our families, in our families, things are said to us or said about us that leave deep wounds. You statements, this is another that I borrow from Dr. Litchie. You statements that become I statements. You will never amount to anything. You were an accident. You, <laughs> I just don't know what's ever going to become of you. I wish you were like, and these you statements that just leave a, a mark on our heart become I statements in our lives. Well, I am no good. I am, I am worthless. I have no value. And what God is seeking to do in the midst of those times is to reach into those times and to say, that's not true. You are of value. You are, you have value because I came for you. I love you. And in the midst of those times, we can choose to exact revenge or we can allow God to work in the midst of that situation. God said, vengeance is mine. I will repay. And I don't know what you've been through. I just know what it is that I've been through. And in some cases, it's easier to forgive some situations than it is for others. But God calls us not to hold on to things. Why? Because when you hold on to the bitterness and when you hold on to the anger and the pain of what's happened to you, you don't get any better. You get worse. And we think of all these things in our mind of, oh, if I, I would do this and I would do that. Bitterness, somebody said, is drinking poison, expecting the other person to die. And 
we can allow that bitterness to just take over our heart and our soul. And so when God brings the past back to us, don't see it as punishment, but see it as his grace because he is seeking to bring about healing. And sometimes, there are times where it's like, God, would you just back off? Just, just back off. And I think the reason that he doesn't back off is because there are wounds that only he can heal. And for some of us, we have those wounds. My question is, will we allow God to do the work of healing? Obviously, something has taken place in Joseph's heart that he wouldn't retaliate. I mean, he still hasn't told him who he is. And we won't know that until next week. But he still hasn't told him who he is. But there's been a change in his heart, hasn't he? And we see for the first time Joseph doing something that we've not seen in any of the chapters before. Take a guess at what we see him doing for the first time now. And we're going to see it a lot more for the rest of the, for this time. Tears. For the first time, we see Joseph expressing sadness. And that's okay. It's okay to have a heart that hurts over what we've done. And when we're tempted to say, well, where was God when that was all going on? He was there with you. He didn't approve of the hurt either. He didn't approve of the, of the abuse either. But he's the one who can bring healing to that now. If we'll let him. If we'll let him. Or as one more, one more test. I'm going to go a little quicker here. The tests, uh, this is the last thing. Tests in our lives come a variety of different ways. In times of plenty, in times of difficult difficult times, but always with the same end in mind, to see what's truly in our hearts. You may be going through a really good time, and God in the midst of that time is saying, will you turn to me in the midst of that good time? Or will you just continue to work things out in your own effort, and you don't, you don't really need me? And then there are times where we walk through difficulties, when God, please help me out. What happens when God helps us out? And when he moves, do we then... Forget about God and move on with the rest of our lives. God's testing always comes to see what's truly in our hearts, what is truly the treasure of our heart. Because the next test is for somebody who has uh, been in control, and that's Jacob. If God has been working on Joseph for about 23 years, he, he's had his work cut out with him with Jacob. Jacob, he's probably been at work in Jacob's life possibly up to 60 years by this point. And Jacob is a guy who likes to be in control. When Jacob hears that there's grain in Egypt, he says to the brothers, go down there and get, get grain. And they do, even though they probably don't want to do that. When the brothers say, hey, the only way that we can ever bring back grain from Egypt is if we bring Benjamin along. He does what? No way. No way. And listen to what he says. Their father said to them, you have deprived me of my children. I wonder, does Jacob have an inkling? Does Jacob have an inkling that his sons had something to do with Joseph's disappearance? 
Again, I can be wrong, but I wonder. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you want to take Benjamin away. Everything is against me. Oh, brother, <laughs> come on. Is everything against him? God was with Jacob, wasn't he? God was with Jacob. Even though Jacob made some not-so-good choices at times, we also don't always make the best choices in, at times. But God was with Jacob. And was God for Jacob? You know, there are times where we want to say, God, you know, what's, what's going on with this? You know, back the truck up on somebody else. <laughs> you ever want something to test your marriage? Do a, do a uh, do-it-yourself project with your, with your wife. Mm -mm. Uh, we turned the coat closet into a pantry this past, uh, this past Friday. And, uh, yeah, they, they make it look so easy. You know, it, it, it's so easy. Uh, anybody, a, a child could do this. You know, it's like every step of the way this thing is like, this thing is against me. And it was like, no, 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 I don't think we do it. That, oh, it's upside down. Now we got to change it and do it this way. Well, we're on YouTube. How do you, a simple thing, guys, guys, a simple thing. You would think they put the top rail so that you could mount it into studs. Put your holes 16 inches on center, right? I at least know that, Greg. 16 inches on center. No. Every last hole had to go, had to use a drywall anchor. Now you would think the drywall anchors that they give you are they, you know, fairly easy to use. Oh no, 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 no. No, I take the anchor and I take the screw out like you're supposed to and start trying to pound the anchor. The end of it has some kind of black rubber on it that you, know, you put it in the hole and all it does when you hit it, it would either pop out or it would break it, it would flare it out. And I'm thinking, what? a simple anchor. What on earth is going on here? It's like, is everything against me on this? And so we go back to YouTube and the guy says, a simple hack. You just leave the screw in, pound on the screw and it'll go right in. Why didn't they say that in the, in the manual? It's like, and, and there was a point where a job that should have taken us an hour and a half, it was supper time by the time we were finishing up. And it's like, oh, everything is against me. And sometimes we feel like that in our lives, don't we? Everything is against me. When in fact, we read, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Everything is not against you. God is for you. He is for your marriage. He is for your children. He is for your job. He is for your health. He is for your financial situation. God is for you. He is not against you. God is the one who is in your corner of your ring and cheering you on. He is for you, not against you. You know, and, and Jacob, he, he says, everything's against me. There's an old hymn, How Firm a Foundation. Some of us know it, How Firm a Foundation. Uh, I don't have a voice left anymore, but I love this song. Some of the words are a little old, uh, so some of you younger people just hang with it. That soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose, to rest, I love this. I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell shall endeavor to shake. Listen to the words. I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. 
That's the promise of God for us in the midst of what you may be facing. Jacob says, everything is against me. He's been a guy who's been in control all of his life. And yet, is that what God is not after? Is Jacob, you've been in control, but now I will put you in a situation where you have no control so that you have to trust me. Does God ever do that to us? Where he puts us in a situation where we are going to have to trust him with our treasures? What's Jacob's treasure? Benjamin. And now he has to trust Benjamin. And he has to take his hands off. And his next phrase. Take your brother and also go back to the man at once. And for the first time we see Jacob making a remark about God. May God Almighty, El Shaddai, grant you mercy before the man so that he will let you, your other brother, does that other brother have a name? Jacob, come on. So that you're, uh, let your other brother and Benjamin come back to you. As for me, if I'm bereaved, I'm bereaved. It's like, oh, <laughs> he's a bit, bit of a drama queen at times. <laughs> May God Almighty grant you mercy. Jacob, I can take care of you and I can take care of your family. And Jacob will see the depths to which God can go to take care of not only him, but to take care of the one who we're going to celebrate this morning in faith. Because it's out of this line that's going to come to Egypt that the line through which our Savior is going to come. And this morning as we have listened to the word, I hope that like I said, it got dark at the beginning, but I hope that you see the light at the end. That God is the one who's for you. And this morning, as I've been speaking, there may be a situation that God would be saying, I want you to revisit that. And my district superintendent said that to us about the lady who, he said, I'd like you to go back and restore that relationship. And he said, what, what do you think? And forgive me. Forgive me. I said to him, I'd rather eat a plate of vomit. <laughs> I did not want to go back and deal with that woman again. And for some of us, that's the way we feel. But don't see it as punishment from God. But see it as God's grace, that he's seeking to restore a relationship. And I don't know what that would be. And honestly, be careful in forgiving too quickly but also be careful in waiting too long for forgiveness. Because we can wait too long. And, and honestly, there are some people, these brothers never, they never truly say to Joseph, forgive us for what we did. And there are people in your life who've hurt you who will never say to you, you know, I was a bonehead. I, I, I'm sorry for what I did. Would you forgive me? There are some people, that's just not part of their vocabulary. But can you forgive? And can you show Christ through your attitude and allow Christ to do the work of healing in you and leave the other person to God? And that's what I really believe that God would be calling us to. When God draws you back to your past, don't see it as punishment but see it as his grace.
because there are some wounds that only he can heal. Amen? Amen. Father in heaven, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, even as I studied this, it, it was like this is gonna this is gonna leave a mark. And God, I have no idea what situations we carry in our hearts, what hurts. But for some of us it's been a long time. And today we came face to face with something from our past. Something that we would have rather left in Egypt and never had to deal with again. But then you and your wisdom and grace draw us back to our Joseph and cause us to face what it is that has happened. And Lord, maybe we are the Joseph looking at ten brothers who hurt us. Or maybe we were one of the brothers who's looking at a Joseph and what we did to somebody else. And precious God, I thank you that you are the one who not only is relentless in your pursuit, but you are the one who enables us to forgive, enables us to see that person through their eyes and to be able to choose to look at that person in a different way. But God, I pray as we've heard your word this morning, For some of us, we need to go back and, and just spend some time, maybe walk along the lakes again. And to process what it is that we've, we've heard. But I pray that God, that you would give us great wisdom as we deal with things from our past. You are the one that your word says can redeem the years the locusts have eaten. I pray that, God, you would do just that. I pray, God, for healthy boundaries. And I pray, God, for the ability to extend grace when that's the last thing we would love to do. God, in your sovereignty, move in our lives. I pray, please. I, I don't demand that of you. I just pray, please, Father, in sovereignty, continue to move in our lives, in our situations, to bring about your perfect will, not only for us, but for those around us. And I think about the generations that will follow us. You are a God who brings healing. You are a God who brings restoration. Praise you and thank you, God, for how you are moving through today. And I pray this in Jesus' name.